Good morning and welcome back to Divine Design and welcome if you're here for the first time. And uh, I'm very excited about what we're going to study today. We've been on this topic this year called Learning to Lean. It's based on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's the general thesis of this um, topic or this series that we've been exploring and it's that, as you probably well know, and you probably have a plaque or a t-shirt somewhere that says this verse that says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path or he will make your way straight. So we've been looking at the Apostle Paul because he's a person by the virtue of his upbringing, by virtue of his personality, by virtue of everything we know about him in Scripture that definitely leaned on his own understanding, his own gifts, his own uh, privilege, his own zeal. I think he was a man that really had a heart for God and had a heart for the Word of God. He spent and devoted... a you know, just so much of his life to study in the Word of God before he even knew Jesus. And then he met Jesus, and everything changed for him. And he learned how to lean, and we see it over and over and over and over again in his writings. And so we we talked about the essentials of leaning, and basically we're just learning how to trust God. We're learning how to find those places inside of us that aren't really trusting him you know we say with our mouths oh I love God I trust God I believe God but we're being honest in here and just safe to say you know what I really say I trust him in this area but my emotions and my actions and my words are telling me something different and so we are pressing into those places and we're trying to you know be open and vulnerable before the Lord and say okay Lord what's going on here you know why am I not leaning and we took a whole six weeks of looking at the topic of contentment so Paul who comes to know Jesus at I mean we're thinking around age 30 we think that he was a contemporary of Jesus he was so Jesus died at we believe at age 33 Paul was somewhere in that neighborhood so shortly after the death of Jesus Paul meets Jesus on the Damascus road he's got all those years of training he was very strong will very intelligent I mean he had his thing going And then he met Jesus. And so he had to unlearn all that stuff he learned. And so that's kind of what we're doing. We're doing what Paul did. And we see how incredibly well he knew the Lord. And he wrote, and I believe this should be all of our goals as believers and disciples of Christ who seek to follow after him and to live like he did, is that we would make Philippians 3.10, just as Paul did when we read it in the Amplified, it said that we would more intimately, more deeply, more deeply and more progressively come to know Jesus. So that's the point of leaning. I mean, the more we know him, the more we'll trust him because he is very trustworthy. And the more we know him, the more we'll lean on him and the more relaxed we'll be and the more relaxed our homes will be and the more relaxed our nights will be and our days. And so it's just, I think, a really great pursuit. And we're seeing God move. He's always working, Jesus said in John five seventeen, And he's really been working on me, y'all. And this lesson topic, etc., has really been working on me. So I'm just coming in telling y'all every week what the Lord's doing 
as he's working on the teacher and the teacher's working on the lesson. So um, this week, well, let me just say what we did last week. We sort of finished up that little mini-series within the series on contentment because we looked the last two weeks at how hope or hopelessness really inform our sense of contentment. If we are not content in an area of our lives, it could be because of disappointment. It could be we have a long list of reasons why we're discontent. But if we're not content, we're probably not content in the Lord. We're probably not trusting him there. And so we started kind of unpacking this thing about where is our hope? Do we have our hope in how our kids are doing? Do we have our hope in how our marriage is doing? Do we have our hope in what size jeans we're wearing? Do we have our hope in a thousand other things that are worldly, temporal, human, that can let us down? And the truth is every human being, every human institution, every everything that is not God has the ability to let us down, and we can be disappointed, right? I mean... It's just the way it is. I hope nobody's looking at me to be their hope because, well, and that's been part of my testimony is that somebody was, and that caused me some major jam-ups in my, in my life. So, yeah, we don't want to do that to people because they can't bear the weight of it, and we don't want that done to us because we can't bear the weight of it. So uh, it's really, you know, I think we're developing, um, as we said last week, that when these hardships come, when these conflicts come, when the pressure comes, it kind of squeezes what's on the inside out. And, um, and that's going to be mixed. It's going to be part of the baggage that we carry from our past. Some of the things we've come to believe that aren't truly biblical truth. It may be some sort of truth involved, some kind of Bible verse may be in there somewhere but it may be distorted in some way. You know, so we want to identify those things so that we can bring them in line with the truth of the scriptures, what God says is true. And then the other thing that can happen when we do have these pressures, when we do have these things bubbling up on the inside, whether it comes from the past or from present circumstances or fears about the future, is what can come forth is the character of Christ. We can develop that hope. We can, do, we can receive the love of God, which we all, I mean, y'all, that is just such a remedy to so many things. And that we, in the process, develop that mature character that Paul writes about in Romans 5. So we kind of, I hope we kind of tied a little bow on that and got sort of some, some, sense of yeah okay we're we're on that page if we're going to be squeezed if we're going to have pressure let's let it be productive let's let God use it for good in our lives and everybody is welcome to take any seat up front come on Um, so that's a little bit of a review of where we've been one of the things that um, I wanted to, I, I, let me say, God kind of changed my mind three different times this week about what we were doing today. So um, I think we will be going after this week and next week to the topic of prayer. I'm very excited about teaching the prayers of Paul because that's where you can really get to know God is in your prayer closet. Um And it won't be uh, you've got to do this 10 minutes a day kind of prayer thing. It will be just, it will be an inspiring, I think, enriching time of looking at how Paul prayed. I think it's going to be real freeing for us. 
and real energizing and faith producing. But before I could go there, I couldn't get away from the love of God. I just couldn't. I just thought, you know what, we're about to jump in. I wanted to jump into the Ephesians 1 prayer, which is spectacular. I cannot wait for us to go there in a couple of weeks. But I I couldn't skip past what he said before it. I think it's too important. Ephesians 1 is what we're going to look at today, the first, um, well, the verses 3 through 14. And let's, let's talk a little bit about the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, they think... Well, they know Paul was in Rome. It was after his third missionary journey. Paul had been out telling the good news. He had been talking about God to all that. He had been traveling. He was a traveling missionary. And so he had been going in person and telling people about the love of God, about the redemption of God, about the gospel message, about how you can get to know him and all that, how you can be a disciple and all that. And then he landed in um, under house arrest in Rome. And I told y'all one week last semester that I actually got to go and see that prison. It was anything but uh, white-collar security. It was very, very bleak, cold in the wintertime, hot in the summertime, dirty, filthy, stinky place that nobody would want to be. And talk about not being seen, not being known, not being um, in a belonging situation in that cell. Can you imagine? And so think of that as the context when we get to the scripture, that that's the place Paul wrote these words. That's what he was drawing on in that situation. And they believe that this letter, although it's titled the Epistle to the Ephesians, they believe that because he was nailed down and confined to that one spot, this letter was intended for all the churches. Because if you read the entire letter, you'll see there's not one person mentioned that lived in Ephesus. There's not one detail about the Ephesian church there. So this is a foundation for all believers for their faith. And so I just felt like after I kind of read it, I thought, oh, we have got to look at this. So I'm pumped and over-the-top excited about these foundational truths we're going to look at. And it's for every child of God. And, y'all, I want us to go at it not with knowing in our heads, but I want us to go in with a wide openness in our hearts. Yes, let it come through your brain, but let it go past that and pen- penetrate deep into your heart and down into your gut where you have all these things going on that are the noise that is protesting against the truth. That's what we're going to do today. And I hope that you'll be able to kind of open yourself up to what I'm about to read to us because it is a wealth. It is a treasure store. It's like, it was like when um, my kids were small, we went to um, London. For My husband had business over there. Wasn't that unfortunate? And um, we took the opportunity to take our children. Jackson had just finished sixth grade, and Merrily, I think, had been, I guess that made her finish in a third grade year. And um, we went to see the crown jewels of the British, or the United Kingdom, you might say, or the British Empire. They were spectacular. And it's like Paul is doing that very same thing. You go on this tour, and I mean, just the bigger diamond and a bigger crown and a bigger scepter and a bigger treasure. I mean, it was like you just, it was just, your brain couldn't even comprehend, like, how rich this was. And that is like Paul. And so, y'all, I read one commentator, and 
I, I just can't believe that Paul, in the Greek in which he's writing, he got every bit of verses 3 through 14 in one sentence. So anyway, I just thought that was a fun fact to know and tell. The Bible nerd in me is kind of showing itself right now. But I just, uh, it's, you know, it was as if he were so excited for y'all to see all this spread out on display of all that God has for us, these treasures that y'all don't belong to the queen or to the new king. They belong to us. They're God's children's treasures. So listen to what he says about what we have. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So, one sentence. <laughs> Can you believe it? I can't even teach this passage in one lesson. You should have seen me yesterday. I had like seven bullet points. I mean, seven outline points. And it hit me. I, I can't do this passage justice in one week. It's too much. So I'm kind of going to divide it. We're just going to look at verses 3 through 6 today. It may take us three weeks to do this, and I think it's going to be worth every minute of it. So just, you know, I I hope you appreciate the fact that I'm trying to listen to God as I do this. And it is an organic process that that I do as, you know, I kind of get a topic, and then I just try to follow the Holy Spirit through it. So um, what I sense he's saying to us is internalize this message. Take it in. It's like taking our nourishment in. Take the good things at this banquet table and eat them, swallow them, let them go down deep, and let them become part of your DNA. I mean, let it really penetrate you. And I think as to the degree that we do that, as we do that, that these things that are standing in the way, blocking the love of God from reaching the 
the deepest place in us, the places where we lack the capacity to receive, I think those things will start moving to the side and being replaced. So that's going to allow us to trust. That's going to allow us to lean. That's going to give us hope. And that's going to lead to contentment that Paul said he had. He learned in every circumstance to be content. So let's, let's look at what the Father has blessed us with. It's blessed by the Father. The passage begins with a doxology, hence we sang the new doxology this morning. And that word is basically a blessing. And if you think about it, this is a twofold blessing, that we're blessing God for blessing us. It's basically what's going on in this passage. It's just a very rough outline of the passage. And what he's saying in this passage is that God the Father is the one who thought this up. It originated with him, all these blessings that he wants to give us. And the blessings themselves, it says, are in the heavenlies or in the heavenly realm. What does that mean for us? Well, we know that um, Jesus taught his disciples to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so what he's saying is he wants to bring what Jesus enjoyed in heaven and then what he brought to earth and lived out as a human being without the privileges and the rights as God the way he operated and the way Paul operated while he sat in that terrible prison are the same things that we can tap into. These things in the heavenly realm, they're spiritual. And so what that means is, yes, God wants to bless us uh, with food to eat and clothes on our back and people in our lives that bless us, but what he really wants us to understand and tap into when those things don't satisfy and that's pretty much all the time is uh, at some point during your day um, is that we can tap into these blessings that are internal. They're spiritual in nature. And so for those places in us that experience conflict and that we have that inner battle going on within us and where there's hurt or where there's um just that pressure that we were talking about last week, that's the place that these blessings can come and make a difference in our experience. So in the heavenlies, in the spiritual part of who we are, and that um, we that will enable us to live more and more closely to the pattern that Jesus modeled for us as he walked this earth. And... Um, one of the ways that we can really, I mean, let me just say I can get excited and I hope you will feel the same way, is that if you look at what this passage says about God's motive, in, in the standard translations it says it was his kind intention or it was his love or his mercy or his loving kindness. It's that God, before he even made the world, he had you in mind. You were on his mind. And he loved you so much that he made a plan so that you could experience his love and so that you could be a part of his family. And that is what motivated him to do everything he did to make the world, to make um, the Garden of Eden, to make a plan to redeem the fall, to make a plan 
to um, return us to his original intent for our lives. As we saw Adam and Eve leave out, live out briefly, and as we saw Jesus live out in a fallen world. And the very first thing he does for us is he makes us holy and blameless. He has forgiven all of our sins. And so let's take a second to talk about those two words, holy. Well, holy means that we are pure. Could you say with integrity, if I ask you to say it out loud, I am pure. Do you think you could say it and mean it? I remember I was in a prayer session with a, um, a friend of mine several years ago, and the Lord drew us to the scripture, and I felt like I was supposed to ask her, would you say that? I am pure. She couldn't say it. This was a godly woman that spent time in prayer, spent time in the Word, spent time in Bible study, spent time ministering to people every day of her life, and she couldn't say it. And so what I want you to hear from this passage is before the foundation of the earth, God intended for you to know and to believe deeply that because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I am now pure. Does that give you confidence? If you could believe that and receive that, would that give you confidence to approach God with all the things that are bothering you? Does me. Um, so holy means purity. And then um, blameless, just think about it. It means, it's, if you look at it in the original language, it means faultless, without blemish, um, and un. Blameable, And so I thought that was really cool is that what God's saying is, hey, if you ever doubt you're right standing with me, just know this, you are without blame. Why? Because I said so. God's speaking to you today. You are without blame. You are unblameable. Don't let anybody blame you for anything, whether you got it wrong or not. Because why? Because Jesus died for you, and you are forgiven. And I'm not going to blame you. And here it is, right here in Romans 8, he says, and I'm reading from the Amplified Romans 8, 33, who will bring any charge against God's elect, his chosen ones? And he just told us about four times that we're chosen, right? Before the foundation of the world. Who will bring any charge against those people? Well, it is God himself who justifies us, declaring us blameless and putting us in a right relationship with himself. So what does that tell you? You're secure. Your right relationship with God is completely secure because you're blameless. And he just said so. So if he says it, we want to believe it. And, I, and as we heard in church here at Covenant on Sunday, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes it's hard to really receive that at a deep level, but that's what our work is, is to take this in and receive it at a deeper and deeper level until it really rings true. So let's do a little listening exercise this morning. And I do this every class to just kind of help us to get in tune with, we really do have the Holy Spirit whose role is to lead us into all truth, it says in John 16. And so... I want this to apply to you in your life. And so I don't want it just it to be a bunch of information. So let's take a minute to listen 
And I'm just going to uh, make this a pr these questions a prayer. And I also encourage you to go back to them as you're processing the lesson later in the week. So first question here. Um, Lord, um, please help us to see how often we entertain accusing or condemning thoughts. So, Lord, just show us how often that's, that's an issue for us. Lord, would you please show us how it impacts us to see in Scripture that you don't condemn us or blame us, that you see us as pure? Does it just slide right off? Or to what degree are we able to receive that? And how does it make us feel? <coughs> And Lord, would you please show us with what degree of confidence can we say for ourselves, I am holy and blameless in God's eyes. One out of ten, ten out of ten, or somewhere in between. Lord, we thank you, and we just ask that you would take this truth and, and you would let it penetrate deeper today. In Jesus' name. Okay, well, I would encourage you to practice that statement. In fact, this is something that some churches do real often, and I'm going to try it out on you guys today. Let's all together say, and I'll say together before we say it together, I am holy and blameless in God's eyes. Okay, I'm going to try it, and let's see if you can just, before we do it, I want you to kind of really think about it, and think about what God's Word just told you. Okay, now, let's say it together. I am holy and blameless in God's eyes. Let's say it again. I am holy and blameless in God's eyes. You want to tell Satan? I am holy and blameless in God's eyes. Okay, that last one sounded pretty good. Um, so I think the more you rehearse that and, and pray, Holy Spirit, would you remind me of the truth of that? Every time you have one of those accusing, condemning thoughts, you can just come right back and go, oh, yeah, but I'm holy and blameless in God's eyes. Right there in Ephesians 1 is where it says it. So you can just back off, right? So that's, that's a way to get some freedom from that. Okay, let's talk about receiving God's fullness. Because as I said, there's a massive, vast, huge, what other immeasurable, you know, limitless amount of blessing that we can receive. But the limitation is with us, our capacity to receive. And so we want to become 
vessels that are more and more able to hold this great stuff that God's putting out there for us. And specifically today, we're talking about his love and how it's expressed in these ways that we're looking at the the father, the head of the Godhead. And so restoration to right relationship with him is basically what we're talking about. Um, Holiness is actually a synonym of wholeness. (coughs) W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, wholeness. And as we become more and more able to receive God's love, and as we become more and more restored to God's original intent for our lives, which is what we saw in the garden, fellowshipping with the Lord, communing, communicating with God, being unashamed in his presence as Adam and Eve were before the fall, as we become more and more restored in that, in our relationship, it's already handled positionally, it's already true, but as we receive more and more ability to get full of the truth, then you'll experience more and more wholeness and and begin to function in a more healthy way that's consistent with the truth. And so um, I think that's why the love of the Father is so, so important um, because it is really the antidote to every one of our core needs. I've given those to you again this week, kind of about four points down from the... um, the heading, Receiving God's Fullness, number C. Um, but our core needs, I've given them to you in two different wordings in that little bullet point. We were created to be loved, secure, and to enjoy connection. Those are our three core legitimate needs. Every person was made to have those needs met. And the other way to say it that I've learned recently is God sees us, God knows us, and we truly belong. We need to be seen, known, and we need to have belonging. And that's, I believe, what Paul was understanding here. And I think that's what he was trying to communicate because you see him just with everything he has trying to help us get this. And um, so think about that those things, needs in light of these truths. I've got five of them for you. God chose you before he even made the world. So think about your seeing, your known, you belong. Boy, that communicates that, doesn't it? He has adopted you. All of you, each one of you are adopted into his family. He picked you out. He wants us, he wants you to be near him. Don't you, as a uh, person with people you love, don't you just love it when you can gather your little people right in a little circle and get them all together at the same time? God wants that. Because he's, he's the original father, the original parent, right? Um, you bring God great pleasure so when he sees you and he does see you it lights his heart up 
And we belong to God, and he belongs to us. So that really, I mean, Paul says it right there. He wants you to know how you belong. You have a place of belonging that can never be taken away from you, no matter what you do or no matter what anybody else does or no matter what happens in this world. So how do we apply that? How do we get that from our head, from the paper to our heads, from our heads to our hearts? Well, I prayed a lot about this this week, and God's had me kind of in process a whole bunch in this season. And, I, and, and that's just the way he's always had me to do this. I cannot stand here with integrity unless I am actually living this with integrity. And that's my biggest thing. I, I can't and I won't. I always say, Lord, let me understand and know and live this before I, you ask me to say it. Sometimes I'm doing it at the same time as y'all, and that happens to be the case this year. Um, so I was reminded of the prophet Jeremiah, and some very, uh, I, the phrase came to my mind, and I looked it up, and I didn't realize exactly where it was found, but, but I remembered that Jeremiah had written, he was the weeping prophet. He had a lot of pain in his life, a lot of rejection. He had a very hard assignment from the Lord, talking about pressures that squeezed the life out of you, squeezing the tears out of him. But this is what he wrote. He said, my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. And so it's that thing about going back to the memories of places where those um, basic needs, those core needs we just talked about, were not met. Places where you may have had uh, a deficit, where there may have been a trauma or a hurt. It could be a small trauma, little T. It could be a massive trauma, big T. And um, so let's just... I mean, the thing I felt like the Lord just um, helped me understand is that I need to apply the love of God to the place I need it the most, the place where I have the least love, where the love is blocked off. So here's what Jeremiah says. He says, Remember, O Lord, my affliction, my wandering, the wormwood and the gall and the bitterness. My soul continually remembers them and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. So see what he's doing? He's not denying the pain. He's not denying the hurt that he's experienced. He's not denying those things, but he's also making a place for God to come in so that hope can come to those places. And it is because of the Lord's loving kindness, there it is, he's applying the love of God. It's because of the Lord's loving kindness that we are not consumed, that we don't just die and this doesn't just eat us up because his tender compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my inheritance, says my soul. Well, that's what Paul's, I think Paul must have read this. Paul was a Bible scholar. Paul's writing about, we have an inheritance of spiritual blessings. Well, I kind of think he may have been going to school on Jeremiah here. The Lord is my portion and my inheritance, says my soul. So that's when we say, the Lord has made my heart pure. The Lord loves me. I belong to him and he belongs to me. He is recalling to mind what the Lord has said and then he's taking it to that place. 
Um, therefore, I have hope in him and wait expectantly for him. The Lord is good to those who wait confidently for him, to those who seek him on the authority of God's word. It is good that one waits quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I went to that this week, and I was thinking about how that applied to us. So before I tell you what the Lord kind of showed me about that, let's do a little uh, listening exercise. That's kind of what I have next on our paper. Um, And let's just pause for just a second to think. I think it'll help us to absorb the kind of how-to to get in touch with where to apply it. So, um, Lord, we're just going to take a moment in prayer to consider how fully satisfied we feel regarding each one of these core needs. So, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just help us see and reflect on and be honest about the fact that I need to be seeing. Lord, how, how deeply is that need met or satisfied in, in me or in you? Okay, Father, and now we want you to show us how, how well do we feel like we're known? And Lord, belonging is huge for each person. Would you show us, Lord, how deeply we experience belongingness in our lives? Okay, well, you can think kind of more about that. Um, uh, Well, let's just say thank you, Jesus. Amen. (laughs) Um, You can think more about that during the week and reflect on specific areas of your life because it's probably going to vary by relationship or by, you know, what part of your life you're talking about, maybe your work life, your home life, your past life, you know, et cetera. So I want to talk about... um, wholeness and being integrated um because that was the you know what all these blessings are supposed to come and help us to find that sense of knowing the love of god that's going to really help bring all of our being into agreement about the truth that we're loved that we're pure etc and so paul is using a trinitarian approach in this passage he refers to the father to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, and how each three persons of the Godhead participated in this work and how they did it in complete harmony. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard teaching about how the Godhead, you know, just is 
each part different, but completely in agreement in purpose and, and in love and all that kind of thing. And I, I'll, I'll read you a passage about that in a minute. And so I believe that's a really great picture for us that that's God's original intent for us, that every part of our being, you know how we're always saying, I want it to go from my head to my heart. I want my heart and head to agree, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an example of that, being integrated. I want to integrate this truth from my head to my heart so that really it is really what I believe and that it comes, that's what comes out of my mouth. That's how you know, you know, that, that, that my behavior starts to reflect it. That's when you know it's integrated. It matches. Um, so a prayer that is in the Psalm, Psalm 86, 11, and I love the way the message said it. It says, Lord, put me together, one heart and mind, and then undivided I'll worship in joyful fear. So you hear James write about a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We want to be not double or triple or quadruple, we want to be at one so that all parts of us agree, undivided. And then Jesus prays in the garden right before he goes to the cross in John 17, 21, and this is the Amplified. Jesus saying, speaking of himself, I and them and you, Father, in me, in order that they, talking about us, may become one and perfectly united, that the world may know and definitely recognize that you sent me And that you, Father, have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you hear that? That the Father, Jesus is praying, Father, let them know. Let them become so integrated and whole that the love that you have for me, they can receive that same love. Does that blow you away? Just like God loves Jesus, he loves you. That should do something. <laughs> if that doesn't do a little something, let's, you know, let's talk, okay? Um, and then let, uh, right before that in John 17, 17, and this is the J.B. Phillips version because it was just a, had a more clear wording here. It says, make them holy by the truth for your word is truth. So remember holy wholeness. Make them whole by your word. So in other words, we always want to take, let's say, for example, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 and what it says and apply it to our hearts, and guess what? That's going to make us holy and whole. So Holy Spirit applying Holy Bible is going to make a whole heart. Make sense? Okay. All right. So not, not to beat that too hard, but just wanted to make sure that we were all tracking on that. Any problem with that? Okay, good. So, we want our heads, our hearts, and emotions to be in agreement. We want our past, present, and future selves to be in agreement. There's a, we all have, you know, as Jeremiah said, our past that informs our present. And we want to make sure that every part of us is in harmony with God's truth. That's the reason we do the prayer that I put in the in the um, application pages every week about making sure that whatever message we received in the past would then come into agreement with what really is the truth, what the Lord says is the truth. So I've been sharing week after week about my journey in doing that, about God bringing healing to my heart 
because of places in my past that didn't have all those core needs met about places that had believed lies, places that were discontent in me because of something that may have been hurtful in my past. And so I told y'all a story about my marriage. I mean, it really wasn't about my marriage, but I had a disconnect with Bob, and I did that thing. I had an overreaction, and I told y'all that Bob does this little thing about once a year. Well, he did it twice in one week, and he kind of made a little dig at me, and I it I signed at the number 1.5, and honestly, okay, so 1.5, and I'm reacting up here at 11 or more. I mean, I was just like enraged, murderous, violent anger. Cause, so that was last week, and so the Lord kind of had me kind of re-examine that over this past week, and I felt like I've got, I mean, y'all are going to get to hear about this again because I learned more, and I think it's really important that we understand how that fullness can come. There's more for me in what he showed me. Did I get freedom? Did I get fruit? Absolutely, yes. Does that little four-step process yield great, um, you know, make room for God's love? Absolutely. But he showed me that, but there's more, Kathy. And there's more for each one of you. And so here's what happened. So I had this confirmed by just, you know, sort of what was going on in my insides and then a trusted prayer partner and then one of my spiritual mentors. I had this conversation, you know, with with the Lord and with two individuals that kind of came alongside and really backed me up on this. So this is kind of how I got there. But I felt like it was like, yeah, Bob did a 1.5. But the challenge was the part that was incomplete, the part that wasn't satisfied was, but what about the child that experienced the fear and the hurt when her daddy, who was her closest heart companion, what about that? Was that a 1.5? Nope. Nope. I was just satisfied to get my breakthrough and move on. But it was like, it was like, whoa, Nellie, let's go back to that. Let's stop. Let's think about that place in your past. Is, is your soul remembering that? Is it still bowed down? And y'all, I can tell you, yes. Yes, I had not taken the time to bring that part of me, ministry, comfort, love and mercy of God because think about it you know it started clicking for me I thought oh gosh there's so many things that back up that thought first of all let's let's just forget the Bible for a minute let's talk about neuroscience you know I'm a big into the neuroscience thing and it, the reason I love it is because I I have a science background in pharmacy but I've always loved um, the way science lines up with what the Bible tells us. So if any of you listen to the podcast I've been mentioning, the lady who does it is a Christian, uh, licensed professional in mental health. 
Her name's Laura Duncan, and in that podcast, she talks about something that you can read in many, many books. She talks about the lizard brain. It's called a, the official name for it is the amygdala. It's also known as the primal brain or the uh, child brain. She calls it that. <clears throat> so science tells us that when we have that huge overreaction, when that trigger comes, we are functioning from our primal lizard animal instinctual brain. It is not higher cognitive functioning like in your frontal lobe. Adults function up here. It's that childlike part of us that's reacting. So you've got the science, then you have the scripture um, that tells us, I mean, later in Ephesians, Paul says in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, that his, his hope, his goal, his desire for every believer is that they would grow up into the fullness of the full stature of the maturity of Christ himself. Well, y'all, I'm going to tell you, whenever that trucker gets uh, pushed, the adult Kathy leaves the building. <laughs> there is no full stature of maturity there. There is what's left is the hurt little girl. And so I needed to take the time and do what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. I needed to wait patiently before the Lord. And so I did. I just scraped off a morning. And can I tell you, I was resistant. I was confused, wasn't really sure what this looked like, but I just said, Lord, I'm feeling pretty sure you want me to deal with this, and I do trust you. I've been doing this kind of stuff that's kind of on the edge, kind of a little bit weird, but it is, I do have the biblical basis for it, so I am going to follow you here. I'm going to sit here, I'm going to look out my window, and I'm going to go back to that memory of just the earliest recollection I had of my dad going off in tremendous anger toward me, and I didn't know why. And as I sat there, and I sat in that, and I felt the feelings, and I remembered the tears just from just this deep, deep place. They just rolled down my face. I didn't have to work it up. I didn't have to, you know... It was there, not a lot of effort to it. It was the effort was to scrape off the time to do it and the willingness to do it. And so what I realized is that part of me had never been seen or known or belonged. I had not allowed that part to receive the love of God in a way that that part of my being could come on up into the maturity of knowing the love of God there. And so I just, you know, I said, oh, Lord, I feel like I've, you know, kind of sinned against myself. The Lord tells us, you know, that in his summary of all the commandments, he says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I have never shown myself compassion in that place. I've always been so anxious to get onto the breakthrough and, and to try it out next week, you know? And so I did. I just sat there, and I, it, this, it didn't take a long time. It was a little bit of kind of like mourning, you know, just feeling sad and sorry for what didn't happen, for that lost opportunity, for that part of me and my memory and to just receive the love of God there. I turned on some music about the love of God. I actually, you know, had my YouTube thing going, and you know how you can have that going. And um, 
and other songs will pop up. I didn't plan a playlist or anything. I just hit a song that I knew would minister to that place. And, you know, I, I was just, now, as Jeremiah said, I was recalling, I was bringing to mind the truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, 14, unless you come like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I belong, that part of me belongs to him. That part of me is loved by him. That part of me, I imagine he, as he wept with Mary and Martha at the graveside of Lazarus, he would stop and have compassion and weep there with me. And that's what I experienced. And so I'm listening to these songs. And as I said, it, I didn't spend a long, long time, you know, here. But I took the time to acknowledge the pain, to honor the pain, and to make a place for God to come. Wow. It just felt so holy. It just felt so whole. And I, now I'm not afraid of trying that. I mean, it kind of sounded weird to me on the front end, and now I'm thinking, no, I was just finishing the circle. That every part of my being, I think, I'll let you know next week if there's more there, but I just, I just closed the loop on my past and brought, let my past now come forward free to grow on up in that place. And um, so I hope that that computes for you. I hope that that will inform some of the what you've been doing. I've heard two or three people say, yeah, I've been doing some of that, you know, um, letting the Lord speak truth to my memories, but I'm still feeling kind of sad. Well, maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's because that there's still an element in the past that hasn't received the comfort of the Lord. And um, I wanted to close with just this thought. Um, you know, our deepest fears, our deepest disappointments, our deepest places of discontent and hopelessness, I think, can be reached. And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you continue in my word. In other words, if you continue making room for the truth of my love, the truth of everything I did to redeem you at the cross, that if you will continue in that until it's resolved, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know deeply and thoroughly, I'm adding, in every single part of you, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So let me close this in prayer and we can write our one thing. Lord, I, um, I thank you that you're a faithful, faithful father and just like a precious earthly father and yet so, so much more capable, so much more knowing, so much more loving and so much richer in kindness and patience, Lord that you would not be content for me to have a partial healing and that you're not content um, for us to be anything less than to, made, to be made full 
of your love and to be made whole in every part of our being. So, Lord, I pray that we would find that to be very um, endearing and safe and inviting, Lord, that we wouldn't be scared, but that we would be drawn um, to your sweet, precious, kind heart, that your intention for us is that we would know you completely, as completely as a human could know you, Lord, and that we would know that you really do completely know us and that you want to fill us up, that you want us to experience all that you have for us and that you have so, so many treasures for those places in us that are more than adequate to bring us into this place of um, deep, deep knowing and experiencing that um, inner peace, inner quiet, and um, ability to let some of that noise and that restlessness and discontent be quieted by you. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you've made us, fearfully and wonderfully made. And, Lord, I, I do invite you on behalf of every one of us to come and to be um, at work in each area of our being. Lord, we thank you for loving us. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.